Good morning, Crossroads. It is a gift to be with you this morning. And I have my friend Rhonda here. Rhonda, welcome. Good Thank morning. You. Nice to be with you. So glad to have you. Church, uh, we have been blessed this summer, haven't we? We've, uh, we've just heard from Dan and then Danielle and then Brent again. And now we get to hear from Rhonda, one of our international workers, also known as an IW with the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And she is going to share with us this morning. Um, so Rhonda, thanks for... For coming, thanks for being here. And uh, why don't you just start with sharing a little bit about um, where you grew up and how you sensed call um, to to being a missionary or an international worker. Well, I'm glad to be back in British Columbia. I actually was born and raised in Kamloops in the Alliance Church there. And then our family moved to Cranbrook, British Columbia, where I graduated from high school. I went to Canadian Bible College, and there the Lord stirred my heart for missions many times, meeting missionaries, uh, going to missionary meetings, praying for missionaries, seeing what God has been doing around the world. I was able to go on my own missions experience uh, after my graduation to the Philippines and just had my worldview expanded. I came back to Canada and worked in a few church scenarios, but eager to get back to the Philippines. Well, as an international worker somewhere, the Lord opened a door for me to be an apprentice in the Philippines again at that same um, uh, city in Cebu City. And then while I was there as an apprentice, I was able to be a part of what God was doing among youth at risk and in a Bible college setting. And I just really loved um, being a part of that. When I came back to Canada that time, I worked at a Filipino church in Vancouver, and then uh, just sensed a strong desire to be back in the Philippines. So I've been there now for the last 12 years, so about 17 all in all. Wow, amazing. <laughs> so uh, you've done a number of different roles as you've served in the Philippines. Can you just give us a little glimpse of what some of those roles have been and, and then what you're doing right now? Okay. I, uh, as a young Bible college student, I was there first to work with an international type student ministry. So went and took university courses and just uh, got to know some of my friends on in my classes and did Bible studies with them. Then when I went back again, uh, teaching at a Bible college was a great um, place to get to know young people again. But in my neighborhood, I was getting to know some street kids and kids at risk. And through that, uh, we started a outreach that became a Compassion International project. So as I left that time, uh, the pastor and his wife and staff just raised that ministry up. So that was what I was longing to go back and be a part of. So I was a part of that. We started um, livelihood projects and uh, I taught the Kairos course, a great class on missions. If anyone's um, thinking to know more, that Kairos course is now online. Um, you could be a part of a learning community like that. And during the course of teaching Kairos, I realized my own um, desire to be a part of working with unreached people. So I worked with the um, regional director at the time and now the the global ministries uh, director, Brem and Donna Friends, who directed me to a team that was working with Muslims in the Philippines. And I was able to do a lot of learning and unlearning in these last six years with that group of um, how, how God is at work in different ways that I had been a part of before. So now I'm working with a group of Muslims 
uh, and Christians doing interfaith dialogue about peace. And it's called, one of the tools we're using is peace generation. So I'll talk a little bit more about that later, but... Um, now, can I jump in really quickly? When we were um, speaking earlier, you mentioned that um, the... CNMA, the Christian Missionary Alliance, our denomination, um, and the the desire to be working with unreached people groups. Um, so originally, um, what you were working with was considered a re. Can you just unpack that a little mm. bit for us? Just help help us understand yeah. that. So what what qualifies reached in many countries around the world is about two percent evangelical believers who could start an indigenous church of their own. That's um, self run and self-funded. So we've been working in the Philippines for more than 100 years. So there is a strong national church, which makes them very reached. There are Bible schools, there are bookstores, radio stations, churches that uh, Jesus is accessible to the Filipino people. There is a pocket of people in the southern part of the Philippines who are predominantly Muslim, who that pocket hasn't been reached with the presence and the um, proclamation of the good news. So that would be considered unreached. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Sorry. Go, so yeah. bring us back. That, so that's what you're moving into mm -hmm. right now, specifically the unreached yeah. Muslim group. Yeah. And there is um, eight, 8 million Muslims in that area. There are 14 different people groups that don't have the word of God in their own language. Um, there's actually one, the Taosugs do have the scriptures in their own language, but it's a, uh, maybe a hidden people who um, have yet to hear in the way that they would understand more about the gospel. So for these last six years, that's what I've been working alongside of some um, international workers, some uh, Muslims who have come to faith in Jesus and who've been working among their own people. And so what I my, see my role is really cheerleading them in these days. I have an opportunity to work in a Bible school in the next session, next term of my um, career. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be back to the Philippines this coming year, maybe not till after, well, not until after January for sure. So Lord willing, I'll be able to go back and really um, focus on a group of people who want to work in international work, cross-culturally in the Philippines, journeying with them. What does that look like to be a light for Jesus in a Muslim area, um, tribal area, and maybe even to work abroad in other um, places in the world? Beautiful, beautiful. Um, now, I'm wondering if you could share um, just a couple of stories that, that you mentioned to me. One was of the the lady who was doing the, the Bible readings and came and just whispered in your ear in the kitchen. Can you mm. share that one? And oh, then yeah. um, the one of the dream. Sure. Yeah. I, as a trainer in this Peace Generation materials, it's a, it's a 12 values of peace that kind of lay out some of the prejudices that we have, some of the barriers to peace, and then um, it ends in forgiveness. So we were doing a training in an area, and we were cleaning up the kitchen, and a young, well, she was middle-aged Muslim woman who's been working with my friend came up to me and said, I'm born again. And I was like, cool, so am I. So she knew I was as a, as a Christian coming to that setting, but it was a great... Um, it was a great encounter. And my friend had actually pointed her out that she had 
um, you know, we, we don't like to use the terms become a Christian, um, but following Jesus, become born again. These are ways that people identify with uh, uh, being a part of the kingdom ministry. So good. We celebrate. Yeah. We celebrate that. Yeah. And yeah. finding family wherever God is uh, at work and encouraging her to um, be bold and courageous too, to, to also find fellowship. Another gal that we've been working with on the peace projects, um, uh, we invited her to come to a study of scripture that I'll talk about a little later of um, studying the scripture in a manuscript Bible study format. So it's the Bible without uh, chapter or verse designations. And we just read it as a script. And uh, we invited her to come to this conference in Thailand. And we were studying the part in Ma- Mark where Jesus is walking to um, a request at the request of someone else walking towards uh, another direction. And a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years touched the hem of his garment and she herself became clean and healed. And she was called out. Jesus turned around and said, who touched me? And she boldly said, well, it was me. And we were talking about that scenario that Jesus would have been wearing a robe and she just reached out kind of wanting to be unnoticed, but Jesus noticed her. And my friend Narkisa said, I've had a dream of that a man in a white robe saying peace to me. And we all were like, cool. I don't know if she'd ever told someone about that dream. I've heard many Muslims are having dreams and visions of Jesus and he's coming to them in that way. But I believe unless they have people to dialogue and process that with, they might not get a full understanding of who Jesus is. So yeah. I was glad to be on a journey with her in wow. these days. Yeah. Beautiful. Rana, thank you so much. I'm going to pray for you mm. and then I'm, I'm going to pass it on. Um, and so father, we uh, just invite you in this moment. We invite you to meet us. And, uh, Lord, I, I, I pray that we would arise, that we would wake up to the reality that, that in you, we have what we need. We have access. I pray that we would have the boldness of this woman who had been bleeding for 12 years to walk towards you, to reach out, to grab onto what you have for us. And so I just pray, I pray that for us as a church. And I pray right now your anointing over Rhonda that she would speak words that are directly from you for all of us who are listening, both listening now and, and listening uh, in other times when this, this message will be played. And so we thank you, Lord. We worship you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, again, greetings to those in beautiful British Columbia. I grew up seeing those words on the license plate and reading the magazine, Beautiful British Columbia, thinking at that time, that's pretty ethnocentric. I didn't actually know that word at the time, but thinking, we, we think we're all that. Beautiful British Columbia. Well, now as I've grown up, I realize it's the truth. It is beautiful, especially being in this place on the coast today. It's beautiful. These islands, these um, places in British Columbia that I've been to this year, in the last 365 days, I've been as far north as Fort Nelson and as far south as Oliver. I've been as east as Elkford, all the way now to the Sunshine Coast and Vancouver Island. It's been beautiful. As I've been connecting with Alliance Churches and friends around the district, I've been very blessed with great partnerships and wonderful hospitality. 
During these days of COVID, I have been stuck in North Vancouver. It's a great place to be stuck. But actually, my one-year home assignment started July 12th of 2019. So I should be back in the Philippines, but it's not yet possible. I prayed that God would uh, provide for me a car this year, and he did. And then I was praying that it would run for the year I was home. And it did. And now I'm praying that it will last another six months while I'm here. My 2004 Jetta Volkswagen has done me well um, going through the mountains and into Saskatchewan. I hope it lasts another uh, winter going to visit my family. I've kept myself quite busy in North Vancouver. I've been studying and doing some connections in the in that area. And I've also especially joy, enjoyed walks along the water. One day at low tide, I felt the spirit was prompting me with this question. What do fisher people, for fisher folks, do during low tide? And I felt kind of stuck. I, I don't know. I'm not a fisher person. I haven't been around many people who've been fishing. And so I sat with that question for a while. I had a few ideas, but I asked a friend the next day, and without hesitation, she said, they mend their nets. That landed. It landed in my soul. It landed in my heart. And I could hear Jesus asking me, so what are those nets in you that need to be mend? I made a list of nets that, I have, been, that have been neglected or worn out, and I could make a, um, some uh, ideas that you might also answer that question. My finances, my health, some relationships that I needed to work on. Um, some with my family and some those who I work with, my attitude towards those relationships as well. I've had some projects on the go, and one in particular that had a fast approaching deadline. So I made a plan, and I got to work. I booked an appointment with my doctor. I arranged a Zoom call with a friend who's learning to be a financial advisor, and she's been helping me with tips and advice on investments and retirement. I've talked to my leaders and found a clear way forward into the next few months as I wait. And after a three-month stall, I finally got a project done. I've been working on a four-part study of interfaith dialogue on the doctrine of the Trinity called the Divine Send. And I finally finished it, and I'm hoping to use it in future ministry. So weeks later, I was telling the story to another friend, and she said, well, what when fisher folk are in low tide, they look for clams and crabs in her part of the country. That also ministered to my heart as another good answer. Jesus asked me, what treasures have you found during this time of COVID? What have you been finding in this period of waiting and disorientation? And so I'm finding more time to walk and rest, read, study, and paint. I found painting was such a great outlet for some of the beautiful scenery I've been seeing, some of the flowers that have been blooming this summer. And I was also able to be a part of an Alliance Family Zoom choir that was featured at the Raise a Hallelujah in June. I've also been able to check in on a Zoom call every Sunday morning for six months with a special family in the Philippines. There are nine siblings Eight are in the Philippines. The oldest is a biology teacher. Two have partners with children living in Cebu. One is engaged but stuck on a different island uh, on a job site right now. 
One just graduated from grade 12 with a virtual ceremony and ceremony and will start college this year on, or this week online. One of the siblings that's closest to me now lives in Spain and she's married and just had a baby in May during COVID, but she didn't miss a Sunday check-in. And these have been delightful days to connect with that family in this way. So you might also feel that these have been, this season has been low tide for you as well. So what are the nets that you need to mend? What are the treasures that you need to find? One treasure I found in the days of COVID was also an online small group. It's with a ministry called 3DM and one of their books called Empowering Missional Disciples by Bob Roglinin. It outlines a concept of the learning circle. Let me share with you just a little visual with my hands how this circle works. Starting with the words of Jesus in Mark 1, 14 to 15, he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Now that Greek word for time is not chronos, a line of linear time, but it's actually kairos, the appointed time. It's like when a baby comes, you know, it's coming. There's a due date, but you're not sure when that time would be. It suggests um, the, this teaching suggests three questions when we come to a Kairos moment in our lives, like the low tide question that I got walking along the water. So Jesus first says, repent or literally change your mind and heart. So if you think of the line that you're going is Kronos time, then Kairos hits and you kind of go to a change of your mind. You make a turn, you change your mind and your heart and you observe what's happening. You reflect on, on what that could mean. You maybe discuss it with some people. And then the next word that Jesus says is believe, which is actually put your faith into action. Be faithing about that. Like James says in chapter two of 17 of James, faith by itself is not, if not accompanied by action is dead. So you put that learning, those observations, those reflections, the answers of those discussions into motion. And then the second question, first you ask, what is Jesus saying to me in this time of Kairos? Then the second would be, what do you want me to do about it? And you take a time to make a plan. You get some people around you to support you in this action. And then you act. You actually act. And you get back to the Kronos time, and you're actually on a different trajectory. And God takes you to a different place than you were when, before you started. And that's how he can explain and unfold for you some of the things, or all of us, the things that he wants us to do. The third question in that cycle is important last step as we journey. And if you have a group of people around you, they can ask, how did you do? How did that feel to do that action that Jesus invited you to be a part of? In the first two questions, we ask, we then wait and listen for Jesus to answer and we obey. The last one we answer after we have done that action and hopefully our faith is strengthened and our movement is more motivated because we have trusted in the process that God is on mission with us. 
Maybe we actually didn't do it, though, because we were fearful. Maybe we attempted and failed. Maybe we started to do it, but then we didn't finish. But even if it was a partial victory, it's worth celebrating and proceeding now to how it felt. But then we are at another starting point that we can continue to ask those questions. What should we do? Or what does Jesus say? What should we do about it? And how did it go? This process is following Jesus into his kingdom work because the kingdom is at hand. Jesus often had follow-up conversations with in private with his disciples after he taught the crowds. And this is also the pattern that he used because he is the way, the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through him. So continue to follow Jesus in these cycles of Kairos moments of your life. As I continue to mend my nets uh, and look for new ways that Jesus is speaking to me. Now, the Apostle Paul also used a similar pattern. And so I want to talk to us today um, in first, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. If you're getting your Bibles, pulling it up on the screen or some other way, um, while you do that, one of the methods of study that we find very effective and so very helpful, especially with our Muslim friends, is to study scriptures in the manuscript Bible study method. Uh, MBS, manuscript Bible study, was invented by Paul Beyer in the mid-50s. And you take a portion of scripture, and we would usually use the Gospels, like a book of Mark, or the Prophets, like a book of Jonah, in our studies with Muslim friends, because they believe that the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, along with the Psalms, Proverbs, and the Injil, the Gospels, are what Muhammad referred to as the book. And he actually recommended that his followers find people of the book to study with further. So we've been able to invite some of our friends in to study scriptures. And every year, except this year and probably next year, we gather in Bangkok and study the scriptures together. I've been there five different times for a week studying the book of Mark and Acts with people from around the world. So we take out the chapter and verse markings. Of course, we know that they were put in much after the writings of the Bible anyway by a printer and scholar named Robert Einstein. Well, Einstein. You look that up. Google um, numbers or chapters and verses. It was easy to find. It's just 450 years ago in Paris that he worked on putting chapters and verses into what we know now as the Holy Bible. Um, in 1951, he finished the New Testament. And 19, or 19, 1551, he finished the New Testament. And in 1571, he finished the Old Testament. So we take those markings out. And the first round of a passage of scripture is to read it out loud. Let the word of God settle into our hearts. The second round is that having a typed uh, version of that scripture uh, on a page, we study it, we mark this numbered line copy with our observations, questions, we trace themes, uh, words that are repeated, uh, with colored markers or pens. So your copy is all marked up with colors and arrows that when of observ observations you're making. 
Then the third round is to discuss your findings at the table with four or three or four other people. And it was at this point in the study that my friend Narkisa, when we were discussing in Mark where the woman who was bleeding for 12 years um, reached out and touched the hem of Jesus' garment, that my friend said she had had a similar dream of a man in a white robe, and she was told peace. He was telling her, have peace. Well, it was a very significant time because this woman actually was displaced in her marriage because she wasn't able to bear children. And what a great uh, affirmation that was to her. And so it also has started a conversation with us many times about how Jesus has come to her. And uh, we continue to pray for her on her journey. Um, I've often prayed this verse from First Peter over her, that she is a chosen person, a royal priesthood, and she represents her nation of the Philippines and of Muslim Filipinos, that his, she and they are God's special possession, that they might declare the praises of him who called them out of darkness into his wonderful light. Please pray that um, for my friends in the Philippines and for those who of you who have friends still in a relative darkness in their life. So um, back to manuscript Bible study. There was a great discussion that day um, as we were able to see the insights of people from different uh, religious backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, um, and how they were looking at the scriptures. So then if there was more people in the room at different tables, a, a facilitator would then um, process some of our findings in a bigger group. It is so refreshing to see the scriptures anew and with the insights from the spirit shared by each member. It's a fun and interactive way of studying the living word and trusting that he has something new to say to us each time. And so that's how I studied 1 Thessalonians 1 verses 1 to 10 in preparation for today. Let me read it for you in the New International Version. I read this to you today as partners in the ministry in beautiful British Columbia, and I also read it to my friends in the Philippines with whom I've journeyed. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering, with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The message, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report that kind of reception you gave us. They tell you how you turn to God from idols 
to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Praise be to God for his holy word. This truly is a Trinitarian passage. God, the father, Jesus, the son, and the Holy spirit are mentioned 15 times in 10 short verses. We see how God has interacted in community with the Trinity from the beginning, whenever that they were there in the beginning as Trinity in community and have invited us into their fellowship. So we know from Acts 17 that Paul, as he was writing to the Thessalonians in this letter that I just read, but from Acts 17, Paul went to Thessalonica to preach in the synagogue about three weeks, probably more. And he encountered quite a mixed crowd. Paul himself was a very controversial figure as he moved around in his ministry. And in verse four, it says some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas as did a large number of God fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. That's notable. They were, they had a great response Uh, Sometimes when we work in ministry, we're always looking for response. In this format right now, speaking to a camera, it's hard to get a response. And so it's always good when you have people responding, when you have people hearing the good news and and getting clicked in. Paul had response. He had people that were following him right away. But one verse later, it's recorded in verse 5 that other Jews were jealous And so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason, his host and some other believers before the city officials. Sometimes our message is not received. Sometimes we do go through suffering and that could be some of the suffering Paul mentioned in that verses earlier um, in his letter to the Thessalonians that they have been through suffering. Uh, We see, well, we might've seen on TV, some of the riots in the cities of the world and what they look like and how devastating it is for so many to have such unrest in your area. We, um, like some around the world, have experienced a lack of finances. And in the tragedy for most people in the world, especially the developing world, Paul was also without funding. Because we read in Philippians 4, apparently the newly planted church in Philippi, according to verse 16 of chapter 4, um, probably led by the well-established businesswoman, longtime worshiper of God, Lydia, and a newly believing jailer, sent relief aid to Paul and his crew, it says, more than once while they were in Thessalonica. So Thessalonica was not a city that was uh, easy ministry. Um, They did have some response, but they had some mobs following them. They were able to get to a new place, but they were lacking the resources, and so they had to be helped by other partners. So this... A different experience in Thessalonica was not always smooth, but this newly established church, while unable to support their pastor, was still given three glowing commendations in Paul's letter, starting verse three. First, for their work produced by faith, their labor 
prompted by love and for their endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pause at this point and say thank you to any of you who have ever prayed for an international worker, who have ever given to the work of the kingdom overseas, and especially I can say from the Global Advance Fund, that's how I'm being paid and get my allowance. And though the giving for the Global Advance Fund has gone down during these days of COVID, with sacrifices of our leadership in Toronto, the CMA office and government support, we international workers have not had a cut in our allowances. So for that, I am so grateful and thank you for giving faithfully. All extra work special money projects has been frozen for this time, but we have continued to get our regular allowance. So thank you for those who have given and who continue to pray for our work around the world. Like I feel stuck in Canada right now, I know that there are some stuck overseas, but the Lord continues to provide wisdom and insight for the reasons we are both where we are. But I, like Paul, appreciate the partnership that we have for the work of missions all over the world. So I wonder who of you have ever been on a mission trip? Can I ask that? Talk amongst yourselves, raise your hands, talk about those experiences you might have had if you have ever been on a mission trip. Some studies say any time between two days and two years, out of one's cultural, language, religious, or even economic status group, for the purpose of sharing the good news or helping the kingdom work is a mission trip. I have been on mission trips and I have also been on the other side. I've hosted many teams and individuals in the Philippines. I have seen the impact that even a few days, let alone weeks or months, can make on a young person, on a family, a church, and a whole community. There have been buildings, but more important, relationships established in a relatively short time that may have had eternal value. So I thank you. Paul encouraged at least six communities that we have record of in the New Testament with letters of inspiration and instruction. Can you name six from the New Testament? Well, there might be a prize if you can name those later. Actually, from the book of Acts, he probably traveled to about 10 communities, but we only have six that um, he's written letters to that we have in the New Testament. To those of you who have been on a mission trip, I hope you are maintaining and nurturing those relationships, corresponding with those friends and encouraging like them like Paul did. With social media, it's such a convenient, easier opportunity these days to keep in touch. And especially at this time of COVID, I hope you are reaching out and, and partnering as the Lord leads you to. It's nice to receive a real letter also in the mail. I have started to write my mom a lot more cards and uh, letters because I know that there is something so precious about getting something in the mail, holding it in your hands and being able to reread it, just like we do with the letters that Paul wrote to his friends. So those of you who have crossed worldview distances know the work of faith it takes to understand different customs, appreciate, or at least graciously accept different foods, and adjust to different ways of thinking. But I want to especially thank those of you 
who have prayed and funded work of missions who have never even been there to see those individuals to whom your spiritual and financial support has impacted. That is true faith. To be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, as Hebrews 1.11 says, it's like a sunflower seed that's planted in the ground. You, you don't know what's happening until you see it being into a full sunflower months later, like I did in April, and now I can watch beautiful sunflowers grow. But you have planted seeds of faith, and you might never see the garden of flowers that is produced by your seeds of faith. Any work of support is at its purest when it is produced by faith. The Thessalonian church was known in the region for their faith, it says, and their joy, even at hard times. May your church be known in this area for your great faith and joy, even in hard times. By faith together, we can work towards bringing access to the, of the gospel in those places that have never heard about Jesus. Please continue to pray for those unreached people groups. By faith, we can support those who are working in difficult places with little or no response. Please keep praying for those international workers and keep in touch with those and national pastors and workers in those areas. By faith, we can pray that those who are not able to work because of their suffering from COVID-19 or the restrictions because of COVID-19 on their family or their ability to work, that they will see miracles of healing and provision and they will turn to God. By faith, we can mend our nets and find treasures in this chaotic time. Paul too commended his friends in Thessalonica for their labor prompted by love. With false teachings growing like weeds around the new believers and Christ's imminent return as motivation, Paul encouraged his friends to continue to labor and grow in maturity, not shallow, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And then Paul, the shepherd, commended, commended his flock in Thessalonica for their endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is hope that we have been rescued from the coming wrath, which inspires endurance. There is hope that we are safe from those who and that which can kill the body, but not the soul. There is hope that to live is Christ, but to die is gain, which inspires endurance. There is hope that God keeps his promises and that if we wait on him, he will renew our strength like an eagle. Even in this world crisis, we will run and not be weary. We will walk and not faint. And that inspires endurance in all of us. There is hope in the line from one of the, uh, my favorite songs. There is hope that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through. There is hope. Let's pray that there's always able to give, we are always able to give an answer for the hope that is within us and that others are inspired by our endurance. There's hope that we can mend our nets and find treasures while we wait for the tide to come back in. I will return, Lord willing, sometime in 2021 to assist the equipping of students in the Davao Alliance Bible College to be trained in cross-cultural kingdom work in the Philippines and around the world. 
I was there to do a module of missions course introducing them to the 12 values of peace with the peace generation curriculum adapted from Indonesia that we usually use with our Muslim friends. Um, we have been training other agents of peace in the Muslim majority area in the southern Philippines. I've already been asked to team teach school as it opens this week, pray that we can have internet connections at their Bible school. It is clear at this point in history that the Spirit is inviting us all to mend our nets and collect our treasures. I don't think international mission work or the church will ever go back to being normal or being the same. For me, these days of COVID, and especially as I wait past my one-year mark of my home assignment in Canada, has been a season of low tide. And I sense that it is the Father inviting me to watch and help him mend my nets and find my treasures. He's not leaving me on my own. He is faithful to me, and he is for me. He is um, not just letting me work harder in sadness or in silence, but he is at work inviting me to join him. And I believe that is also true on a large global scale. May you see what he's doing in your life and join him. So what do you think the father is up to in your life, in your family, in your community? What is it that Jesus is saying to you in these days through your comforts and discomforts? What is the spirit inviting you into? Maybe you have never asked him in to ask those questions before. Maybe you have never put your faith in Jesus alone. Maybe this is your Kairos moment to ask, listen, and then act. If you are part of a community of faith with people who trust in who you trust to ask about how you're going and the deeper things and the spiritual things, please press into them with the few friendships that you do have. If you don't know any, please ask the spirit to lead and come close to you. He's always there. Take up the challenge in this low season, low tide season to mend your nets, to gather some treasures with the community of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Rana, thank you so much for sharing. I think that the pictures, the two pictures of mending nets and finding treasures is significant. Uh, and so I really want to encourage us as a church to press in there. Uh, what we're going to do is move into ministry time right now. And um, I want to encourage you right now, church, uh, if there's something that spoke to you while Rhonda was speaking, I just want you to press that, that pray button. We have prayer teams standing by who want to journey with you, who want uh, to come alongside you and see God, like you said, Rhonda, see God join you uh, in, in mending the nets uh, of your life. And so all you have to do is click on that button. What that does is opens a separate window that nobody sees, nobody knows. It just goes to the prayer team and somebody from the prayer team will step in. And if your preference is then to make a phone call, we can make that happen. Uh, and again, if you would like prayer during the week, we're available. Just, just contact uh, either through the website, you can go to the prayer page uh, or reach out to the office. And um, the last thing I want to uh, want you to get ready for is just for our giving. This is something that church you have done so well in. Uh, we were concerned when uh, when 
the uh, right around Easter when we started to meet in this new format, and you as a church stepped forward and met the challenge uh, that that we have uh, of giving, and you gave generously, church. Well done. And, and so as you know, August 31st is our fiscal year end. We're coming up to that tomorrow. And so just we're a little bit behind uh, where we would like to be, where we projected that we were going to be at. And I won't give you any of the details. What I want you to do is I just want you to pray. I want you to ask God. I want you to ask Father, uh, what would you have me give right now, Lord? Um, and take into account the Global Advance Fund that we partner with, uh, our desire to be missional both here on the Sunshine Coast and beyond into the world. Uh, and so thank you for your generosity. Let's keep pushing together, church. Let me just close as I read another prayer from Paul from 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. God bless.